podcast ain't played nobody, Bill. It's become a tradition in my home in college football season <laughs> to deal with a broken dehumidifier. Do you want to know why? Why is that? Because of hurricanes. Um, I am now getting ready for a hurricane that's going to hit Carolina in a big bad way. Yeah, it's pretty pretty nasty. But all the way in landlocked Tennessee, in the middle, literally in middle in the middle of Middle Tennessee in Nashville, Tennessee, last year. While everyone was watching Ohio State, Indiana, it was the first like real game of the season. You remember that at week one? Yeah. It was pouring rain here because of the hurricane whose name I can't even remember anymore, but I know it caused the BYU game, BYU LSU to move from Houston to New Orleans. So that storm, whatever it was, tailed through and went north into Middle Tennessee. And it put so much rain in my house that we had to pump water out of the basement, and we had to set up a dehumidifier, the whole deal. Okay. Um, we are now preparing for the exact same thing to happen for a storm that's happening hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Um, so it is now a college football tradition. Um, the dehumidifier I, I bought has broke since because it has worked overtime. Uh, I, this pisses me off to no end, to the point where I'm literally <laughs> interrupting a show about it. So you had the brilliant idea on today's show for our guest to be a meteorologist That's right. with a college football background who can actually uh, put some of this annoyance and and seismic change in culture for college football and, you know, earth in perspective. <laughs> that, is, that is correct. I remember uh, following Sean Breslin a long time ago, uh, the, the weather.com's Sean Breslin uh, on Twitter and thinking, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. And he's a college football fan. That's rare. Like he's got, uh, he's very useful to follow. And then he's also talks about football sometimes. So uh, a two for there, but it felt like a very good time to bring him on. Uh, just talk about the, the impact that storms have and uh, you know, on, on football and everything else. And um, yeah, let's hop to it. But first we've got a little, uh, we got some bills to pay or yes. I guess, People sort paid of. us. We have to work yes. it off. I don't know. Look, yeah, man, we'll it, it's a rough metaphor. Uh, we got a pack show. We're going to get into a special paid for segment, uh, courtesy of the GoFundMe drive that we're doing right now. We'll talk to Sean in a second, and then we'll get into your week three tasting menu. Um, we didn't do the show intro either. This is a rushed episode. <laughs> you ready? Hurricane edition. This is podcast name played nobody. My name is Stephen Godfrey. That is robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. This is the messy hurricane edition of a college football marriage of numbers and words as we barrel through a ever-changing week three landscape uh you can reach me again at 38 godfrey it's where you can find the donation link for the fundraiser if the, i always worry it's like a marvel comic book stanley used to say this everyone's every comic book is someone's first if this is your first episode of papn um the house is a little messy i'm preparing for a massive round of travel uh, for a story that's unrelated to college football, for a big story for SB Nation. And so I, my hair is a particular kind of on fire right now. Um, okay, Nicholas Allen, um, he's a contributor over at athlonsports.com. We're friends with them. We know them. Um, he is a former high school uh, football coach. He's a minor league baseball front executive. He's also a freelance writer. He does a lot of different things. Um, so he has uh, a... A new website, cfbwinningedge.com. He also has a Twitter handle. You can follow him at, at cfbwinningedge. Again, that is at cfbwinningedge. Um, so he's he's sort of attempting something that you haven't done before. How best how best can we explain this? So he's doing like a like player ratings, and he's also more interesting to me here. And he sort of forwarded a bunch of information over. We're gonna we're gonna talk about here. He has gone about the dubious, bold task of a head coach rating system. Yep. 
Um, so he says right here, I've developed a, a set of head coach ratings. They're based on a wide range of statistical factors and are updated weekly. The head coach ratings combine with the player ratings to help rank all 130 FBS teams by overall strength. Um, as a way of testing it all and logging the results against the Vegas spreads. The first week was mediocre, 21 and 23 and 1 against the spread, but I'm excited to see how the first year goes. I would love to hear you and Bill discuss the thought of coaching rankings. Rating, sorry. Which stats you would look for as part of a rating you would develop? That's the part when I saw this, Bill. I was like, I, I don't know. I really don't. Um, and how much emphasis you would put on any such ratings as part of overall team strength. For instance, can we put a number on how much credit perennial overachievers like Ken Niamatanolo or Bill Snyder have on their teams? I know that there have been some posts on how much coaches over or underachieve at Football Study Hall and SB Nation. But to my knowledge, Bill hasn't publicly attempted to fold a coach's specific history into his team's ratings. Uh, on, and then he has in parentheses, on top of the year-to-year -year statistics and recruiting results under that coach. Or for a coach that switches jobs, is there some way we could predict the impact of a 50-year-old Snyder if he were cloned and took the Kansas job? Or had Coach Ken gone to BYU or Arizona? Again, a ton of questions here that I, I don't know how we're going to put into numbers. We're going to try. Uh, similarly, this is still him talking, uh, I'm considering attempting to quantify how a unique offensive or defensive system impacts team strength. Um, uh, that's all you. Obviously, the triple option has been a great neutralizer for Navy and Army, helping those programs compete with a talent deficit compared to most competition. I think we may be seeing something similar brewing at Hawaii because no one else is running the run and shoot as a complete system. You know what? As I read this, I realize he's right, and, none, and no one else has picked up on that, so good on him. Would you or Bill be interested in seeing or discussing how triple options run and shoot anything else impacts less talented teams historically, and could past results shed some light on future expectations for programs that run those systems? One more. Finally, I've been interested in home field advantage. I believe Bill assigns a standard two and a half or three points for home field advantage to his weekly predictions. Uh, let me stop right there. The way I was brought up when I was like in college and everyone was like just sort of stretching their gambling wings, don't you just automatically give three to the to the home team? It's two and a half now. Um, that's, it's two and a half now. I, I think okay, I started but, off with three or three and a half, and then I just realized over time, like two seems closer to reality, or two and a half. Okay. Excuse me, seems closer. I just remember the bookies in North Mississippi would always just default to that. Um, okay, uh, though I believe Phil Steele assigns. Oh, Phil Steele, dreaded enemy, uh, assigns a more specific number of each school from two and a half points at a bottom rung MAC or CUSA school to five and a half points for Alabama. Has Bill considered studying home field advantage and varying how he applies FHA? HFA, damn it. HFA. If so, what factors would he consider? This is something I'm hoping to explore in greater depth. <clears throat> Sorry for the long rambling email. I know worries, buddy. You paid for it. That's right. Um, and again, thank you for your very generous donation. Um, we're going to work backwards, Bill. Yes. If that's okay with yes, you. Yes, that's what I was going um, to suggest. So let's... Let's talk about home field advantage yes. first. You do assign a standard two and a half points for home field advantage. Yeah, basically. Talk me, so talk me through a varying home field advantage. Well, okay. So, th I mean, there's logic behind it, obviously. Um, I, the whole, I, I didn't realize Phil Steele gave five and a half points for Alabama. That goes against everything that I've really ever studied about home field advantage. So, th there, there's really... I, I back before I was full time at SB Nation, I did a piece for ESPN Insider about um, 
historical home field advantage is how they used to be worth probably, you know, looking at home and homes in the 40s and 50s and whatnot. It seems like they were used to be worth, you know, five, six points. And now it's more like two and a half, which makes sense. Travel's easier um, and all that. Like it, ma- it makes perfect Less sense. Trains. Sure. Yeah. yeah Fewer trains. Not sitting involved. on a train. Um, and so that part made sense. But one thing I found was that um, re- I, 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 I came to realize, like, I, I, I think we look at home field advantage wrong as a rule in that, like, uh, what he said about five point five and a half points for Alabama, two and a half points for some small school. Alabama doesn't really have a significant home field advantage. They have a significant being better than their opponent's advantage. And when I looked at um, – I, I started to look at, at home field advantage as, like, a zero-sum thing. The t- it's not necessarily who's better at home. It's who has the bigger spread between home and road performances. And so I believe, if I recall correctly, the teams that <clears throat> that were at or near the top of my quote unquote home field advantage list were like they ended up kind of being a remote location teams. So like uh, not not only Hawaii but Syracuse and Texas Tech uh, teams that have unique home field environments or they're a bigger pain than normal to get to uh, or the teams that performed that overachieved more at home and underachieved more on the road. So that mm-hmm. that spread was bigger. And so okay. that's kind of how, like, I, I, I always worry about sample size and stuff like this, which is why I don't, which is why I just apply the standard two and a half. Um, but I do think, like, if I were to go that route and try to find something that works, it would be that. It would be that that range between home and road performance, not simply like, you know, this, this they play at a stadium with 100,000 people, therefore their home field advantage is bigger. Uh, I didn't find anything to really back that up. Uh, Alabama's great at home. They're also great on the road, you know. Um, so it was those teams from the remote locations in that middle tier, so to speak, uh, that really you could see a big difference in that regard. Let me just throw this in real fast just to piss people off in this segment. I've done a lot of games in Tuscaloosa. I don't think it's that particularly intimidating. That's not to speak ill of the Alabama fan base. I just think that you're dealing with Alabama, and that's such an absolute that it doesn't matter. I think it's. I think there's more of an impact. This is the guy who couldn't pass business calculus, so whatever. I think there's more of a numerical impact when you're going into a stranger environment against a less talented team that's more of a unique experience. So what you said about Texas Tech mm-hmm. or going into like maybe a road game against a, an opponent you didn't quite expect or you have no familiarity with, maybe a program or coach or, or roster's first time in a unique in a unique environment they didn't they didn't really get ready for. You know, Clemson talked a lot in the media going into the A&M game about what that was going to be like. And they're they're also in familiar situations where, you know, they've played in bigger big environments, maybe not as big as Kyle Field, but I think there's something to this. But I don't know, again, I don't know how you put a number on it. Right. Like if a team is just looking past like, I don't know, Cincinnati and they go to Nippert and it's sold out and, it's black, and they do the blackout, it's loud, it's a weird stadium. I think that's more impactful because when you go to Alabama, you know you're going to Alabama, you're going to adjust right. accordingly. Yeah. And I mean, for the most part, uh, if you go into Alabama thinking you have a chance to win, uh, unlike like an Arkansas state or whatever, um, I mean, chances are you play in a big home environment because you're probably a blue blood. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, like I've, like I've said before on this show, like I've been at, at OU where the, 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 the crowd was so loud. You couldn't really see, I've, I've, I've had the kind of lose your equilibrium experience at like a Nebraska and whatnot. So I get it. Uh, there are those moments, but those are moments. First of all, that's not the whole game. And 
Yeah, I, yeah. I just statistically, I just didn't see that taking shape. What I saw was that spread: the teams that are weird in weird locations, uh, playing better than you would expect at home, and worse than you would expect on the road, or the, the worse than the numbers would respect uh, would expect on the road. Okay. Systems. Um, yes. Hmm. Yeah, this is another sample size thing. Like, I would love to. I mean, well, first of all, there's guys like uh, Dave Bartu out there, um, CFB Matrix. Um, he mm-hmm. he's all on Patreon now, so I don't exactly, I don't know if there's any of his work that you can go out and sample now, or if it's if you have to pay for everything. But I mean, his whole system is based on coaches and coach effects and how this guy is usually worth this number of points and this guy is usually worth this. And so uh, you can kind of start to lean one way or the other uh, compared to the spread and whatnot. And that's like, I I definitely think there's something there. I've personally never figured out a way to incorporate that. But if I did, it would be exactly what he was referencing um, with with the Niamatololos, the uh, the Bill Snyders of the world, the guys who statistically overachieve, who we get to the end of the season and we have all the stats laid out in front of us. And we say, and every single year you're like, uh, statistically Navy looks like a seven and five team. Oh, they went eight and four. Uh, you know, Kansas state looks like an eight and four team. Oh, they went 10 and two. Um, it does appear that those teams, that, that those coaches at the very top of that list, that over an underachiever list that I put out every single year, it does seem like those names out uh, like a, a standard deviation or two from the norm are reliable in that regard. Pat Fitzgerald is another one who who ends up with a half a win or a win more per year than the stats would suggest. So I, I would be trying to incorporate that. But again, sample size. I mean, even even Bill Snyder, like he's got two hundred whatever, three hundred whatever sample or uh, uh, you know data points at this point because he's been around so long. But even that's only a marginally decent sample size. Like you know, Niamatololo's coached one hundred thirty games or whatever it is uh, as a head coach, and even that's not an amazing sample size. So it's just. It's, it's hard to, like, when we're already dealing with a small sample sport, even if we use plays and drives and try to stretch that sample out as much as it can be stretched, when it comes to coaches, you're talking about games, and there are 12 games a year. Uh, fewer uh, if, if you're in hurricane country. And um, it's just, it's really tricky. So what do you do in a situation like that where you know there's an aberration, but you don't have a way of, of factoring it I in? I think if I were to sat, sit down and really – Basically, I, I, I could probably create a system that impacts a few coaches at the, at the high end and a few coaches at the bottom and really nobody else. Like if you're within a, like a standard deviation of the average, probably there you do not have a coach effect, at least in terms of the way my numbers work. But I mean, yeah, you could probably you could pro- we could probably get to a point where we're like, you know, Kenny Matalolo is worth one point one extra wins per year. That's the equivalent of this number of points per year, which is the equivalent of this number of points per game. And you average you add that to their S&P plus or something like you, you could do that. Um, I just haven't ever really I haven't it hasn't been high enough on my list uh, to to really attack in the offseason and get to a point where I can definitively say, OK, this right here is statistically significant. This is what we're going to use. OK. What about now? We're already getting into the systems and coaches things. You were talking specifically about about Coach Niamatanolo at Navy being worth one point whatever wins. Yeah. What about anyone running the triple option? For yeah, instance? no, it, it really um, like I'm going to pull up that overachievers list here. The, it it does seem like a ball control and efficiency based ball control option or offense can over the course of a season steal you a game basically like on, on my list of overachievers uh, yeah i have bill snyder um 
over the 10 year sample that I've got, uh, he's worth 1.1 extra wins per year. Comparing that, like, like I've said before, that, that, that post game win expectancy number, like based on these stats, you would have won this game 50% of the time. Um, based on those numbers, he's worth 1.1 extra wins per year. That's 99.5 percentile. That's probably significant. Ken Niamatololo is worth 1.1, uh, wins per year. That's 99.4 percentile. Um, but then, like, I mean, heading into this year, Tom Herman was third with 0.98 wins per year, but that was three years. <laughs> so that's probably not even slightly uh, significant. But, like, Pat Fitzgerald over 12 years, worth 0.9 wins per year. Uh, Urban Meyer over 12 years, worth uh, 0.7 wins per year. You could probably turn that, for those high sample guys, you could probably turn that into uh, something worth adding to their to their numbers. And, and the other problem with this sample, of course, is, is, you know, this is a bell curve and the guys at the bottom end uh, probably aren't going to be around long enough to have any sort of statistical significance. Um, like the bottom name on my list is Charlie Partridge, who lasted barely three years at FA, FAU or not even th- uh, three full years at FAU. Uh, Chuck Martin in Miami, Ohio. I have massive problems with his game coaching and the stats back it up. He's minus 1.4 wins per year, which is horrible, but over four years and 50 or so games. So, I mean, like what that that's where I get stuck is like, where, where do I draw that line and say, okay, he's officially worth negative points in the old, uh, in the old uh, S and P adjustments. Do you think we answered Nicholas's question? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, he, um, I mean, Nicholas, obviously feel free to DM me and we can talk about this more. I'm a hair busy like Godfrey at the moment, but I promise you we can have this conversation over a series of days or weeks. Um, But it is an interesting thought and there's absolutely something there. I'm just not sure. I think most of the coaches are in the middle and it's not going to really, um, it doesn't add anything to my ratings at least uh, to, to adjust for those coaches except at the extreme ends. So again, over here in Moron Brain, um, one thing that is at odds with me is that he also he has a player rating system, mm-hmm. and um, you know I've got a, he said I've, it attempts to account for a player's talent p- uh, potential and adjust it based on experience and production. I call it the VGR or Video Game Rating Plus, <laughs> and it's meant he's because he, he's trying to create a, that that single number that you have on a Madden or the old right. NCAA games where like I'm a 91 or whatever, um, and he's got an explainer for that. But if you did that and you factored that into a team's quality what i think what what i stay with me and again you just tell me if i'm i don't understand math so let's say you have that and and you have like average at alabama or you know whatever washington auburn it doesn't like a good school is like in the 90s right so like 92 but wouldn't you if you're more than likely running the option or one of these unique offenses that we're talking about, your player roster is probably very, very, your player roster number is probably very, very low. So wouldn't all this sort of like cancel it out? Because it's almost like a prerequisite. If you're, if you're worth more wins because you're overachieving, isn't that predicated on the fact that your players suck? Right. This all comes back to the, the ultimate, uh, just the, the, the ultimate uh, kind of paradox with, with football in general is you've got 22 players uh, and coaches uh, to divvy credit out to, and you've got a tiny sample to do it. 
and, and so it really is once you start to dr- try to divvy out individual credit, it really, it's really, really tricky. And so, um, that would obviously be my concern with a system like this. I, I'm looking just out of pure curiosity. I pulled it up and I was looking. I'm looking at his Missouri uh, player ratings. And honestly, I mean, if I were to just rate these guys like off the top of my head, it's looking pretty close to what he's got. Um, so you know, there there is that. Uh, he he does use. It looks like he uses two four seven rating uh, along with some production stats and whatnot. So it's, I mean, it's kind of a cool system. Uh, he has he has Missouri receiver Nate Brown rated too high, I think, uh, and and Rashad Floyd not rated high enough. But you know, nitpicking. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it is tricky because once you lay all that out, and then you find that there's a difference between team quality uh, and and like this cumulative team talent quality. Like, what what's the reason for that? Is your are your ratings off? Is that the coach effect? Is that, you know, it, it really does get tricky. And I mean, he knows this. He knew that when he got started. And I respect him for trying to start to, to kind of just swim out there in the waters anyway and figure things out. So that's pretty cool. I'm extremely impressed, especially as someone, again, who can barely balance a checkbook. So, all right. Um, Nicholas, again, thank you for your donation. I hope that, um, Hope we kind of got at what you were trying to do, and uh, Bill will be in touch. And also, you can hit me up too if you want us to share any of these specifics. Um, we will put that in with our information on the podcast. Um, we can we can tweet that out as well. So, Bill, let's change directions now and go to something equally confusing and much more dire in the short term, and that's uh, <laughs> terrible weather. So I was thinking about this as I was watching the the Weather Channel yesterday, um, and not not only just for prep for this interview, but also because Florence is, is, is getting kind of scary. Um, it seems to me like hurricanes are the busiest weather event from like a, from a content perspective because there's so much buildup time. Um, do you agree with that or, or, or does, do maybe does, does snowfall get the edge there? Yeah, no, definitely hurricanes uh, without a <laughs> doubt. Uh, we, we've had a couple storms. Sandy was one of them where we were a week out and we were just, just, we knew it was coming and we knew it was going to happen. And it was basically just continuing, continuing to tell people that, you know, what's coming, what's about to happen, uh, where the storm's about to hit. And uh, this is, it's been pretty similar, not, not necessarily a week, but it's been several days uh, with, with this, with this storm with hurricane Florence. So we've just been kind of waiting and, and just letting people know how serious it is. Yeah. Well, and I, 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 it's kind of interesting too, because when you have that much notice, I think I find myself with every one of these storms at some point thinking, okay, um, is it fizzling out? Why hasn't it hit yet? Even though like all the forecasts tell me it's like four days away, it takes me a while to remember, like we, we really do have just tons of notice on this, but do you think that it impacts the way people view it as well? Like maybe they wait too long or, or they, or, you know, they, they don't take it as seriously because it's not completely imminent. Yeah, I mean it. It is. It's an interesting situation because each hurricane's different. But in all honesty, I think that the good thing about hurricanes is it gives you a lot of time to prepare. Usually, yeah. you can see it coming for days in advance. And hurricanes take way more preparation than than other storms do. With 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 winter storms, yeah, you have to run out to the store and get your bread and milk or whatever you need. Um, severe weather obviously is pretty much a a day of thing. You just find you know we we know we know a couple of days in advance that there's going to be a, if there's going to be a really bad outbreak. But um, you know it, it's the tornado, the tornado warning happens 30 minutes before the tornado hits. So right, exactly. that's, that's an immediate thing. But with hurricanes, you have to put up, you have to board your houses up. You have to <laughs> figure out where you're going. You have to get supplies for the trip or supplies. If you're going to you know, stay in your house, assuming that you haven't been ordered to evacuate. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's good that you have more time to prepare with hurricanes for sure. 
Now, and you're, um, yeah, I mean, you're the senior editor for weather.com, obviously. Um, there's, you know, I'm from Oklahoma. I, there, there are certain weathermen who, who somehow, I mean, once you get like a meteorology job in Oklahoma, you're, you're set for life. You're going to be there 40 years later. But there are a couple of them who have been around forever and who just seem to get a little more extreme each year in terms of um, just the, the, the level of anxiety or, or, or energy that he brings to the table when talking about tornadoes and whatnot. Uh, and it, it almost becomes this sensationalist thing. So when you're designing, when you're making content, when you're creating content, uh, website, TV, whatever, and you've got 24 hours a day on, on the television and everything else, how do you balance between conveying the seriousness of something um, and talking about it a lot without, <laughs> without almost you know, taking it to that sensationalist level without freaking people out basically? Sure. Yeah, well, we have, um, we have a really good hierarchy in place at weather.com. And that is that the, the meteorologists basically have the say in everything. They, <laughs> they have to sign off on any headlines we write to make sure it's meteorologically accurate. Um, everything, we, everything we write about weather, first of all, the meteorologists are writing most of the forecasts. So they're the ones that are in charge of basically setting the tone, telling people what they should be expecting. Uh, we cover we cover the news side of it, but we also want to make sure that in terms of especially like with Florence preps right now, we don't want to be telling people things that aren't really going to happen. So we have a we have a good hierarchy in place that that a lot of checks and balances that keeps the the tone accurate. Uh, it gives us you know internet internet's good too because it gives us a chance to to present a bunch of different multimedia images, videos, sounds, things that that from past storms that people should be expecting with this storm uh, with Florence. You know, we're, we're at this point, we're not sure if there's any precedence for this storm, but we do have some some historic storms in the past that have hit the Carolinas where we can say, you know, if you remember Hugo, there's going to be there's going to be some things about it that are similar and some things that are different. Um, you know, Hazel in North Carolina has been compared a lot to this one. But, yeah, we, we, we always have to take a step back and look at the headlines, look at the, the articles we're writing and just make sure that everything is 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 accurate, isn't overhyped. Uh, we've never had an accuracy problem. There's a lot of a lot of national media people that have been called out for for inaccurate headlines or something like that. Um, but we definitely have um, kept a closer eye on the hype the last couple of years because we understand what this means to people. And, and, and it really does. It can mess with your psyche. If, if you're being told something that, you know, it doesn't end up happening, then what happens with the next storm? You end up, you've got the crying wolf scenario. So. Sean, uh, this is going to be a very simple question, but it, it bears repeating in a moment like this because people are very passionate about college football. Um, <laughs> given your background, you understand that. But yep. uh, can you ex explain exactly why these games are canceled? And I, I know it's as, it should be as simple as, hey, there's a hurricane coming. But uh, from a logistics standpoint, we get a lot of like amateur sort of internet theories in our responses and fans saying, well, they could just do this. They could get it in here or they could squeeze it in before or after. Um, for those who aren't familiar, waiting out a storm of this magnitude and then playing it a day later, that's a horrible idea uh, because I personally live in sort of a hurricane area in the South. But like, explain to people why that's such a terrible idea. <laughs> well, you have the game, obviously, which, which you know, you, you saw the, what was it, Notre Dame played, I think, NC State a couple years yeah. ago or UNC yes. in, in Hurricane yeah. Matthew, and it was it was a disgusting game. I mean, nobody, you know, it was it was entertaining to watch, but it was it was a terrible football game. So there was there's that, but that's that's the least important thing at this point. What what really matters is the fact that it takes a lot of people, there's a lot of moving parts to get a college football game underway and to play a college football game. And you've got you've got some games this week that are being played in areas that people have been ordered to evacuate. And the last thing that we need at this point is 
the, the, the super crazy college football fan who says the only reason why I'm staying in my house for a category four hurricane is because I've been to every game for 31 years <laughs> at, at NC state or something like that. And that's just one example. There's, there's multiple schools that have, have decided to cancel their games, but you just don't need that kind of a situation going on when there's a major hurricane making landfall. You just don't want to give people any, any opportunity to, to convince themselves that it's a good idea to, to stick behind, stick around for a college football game. Now I'm going to immediately follow that because you, um, you are familiar with college football and I, you went to UGA. That's right. I went to Florida state actually. Oh, you went to Florida state. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Give me your best. I was in horrible weather for football story because I know, especially at Florida state, you've got one. Well, I went to Florida State during the dark ages of 2005 to 2009, which is, um, I think, I think we had more fans of basketball games than we had of football games those years, because at least the basketball team was making improvements. Yeah, that uh, was a terrible range. You, you it really was a terrible, it was poorly. a terrible range. Yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, we turned it around. But yeah, there was, um, there weren't too many games. Uh, we had a pretty quiet stretch during those years in terms of tropical storms along, along that stretch of Florida. Uh, there was a period where Katrina was actually kind of aiming toward Tallahassee and it, it eventually turned, but I was, I was going to evacuate. That was my first, my first week of freshman year. And that was a kind of a crash course in what could happen in, in, in tropical season. But I would say probably aside from the, the games where it was just so hot and we, we were playing a lot of noon games at the time because we were terrible. Um, there was, there was the wake forest game in <laughs> 2006 or seven where we got beat 30, nothing. And it was, um, it was, it rained early. So that was terrible. And then obviously my, my final game, my, my swan song of college was the 2008 Florida state versus Florida game where Tim Tebow, uh, famously jumped into the end zone, got paint all over his face. And that's because it had rained so hard that day that the end zones were pretty much melting. The, the paint was coming off of the grass and there were just these puddles of garnet all over the end zone. So that was a pretty wild game as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we, we are talking a lot about storms and their impact uh, on sports. And so there, there's always this tricky balance when we're talking about uh, a, a, an extreme weather event or even an extreme weather season with the natural, <clears throat> with, with my natural impulse, at least, to always be thinking about everything in terms of climate change uh, and just the desire to kind of, um, what's the best way to put this? The desire to, be, to, to, to get the point through that this really is happening and that there needs to be something, <clears throat> it, it's real and we need to do something about it. Now, there, there are a couple of different questions or a couple of different directions <clears throat> that I can go with this. But um, I mean, first of all, do you think, I, I know in India, cricket has been you know, drastically impacted by, by their own climate change, extreme weather events and droughts and all that. And, and, and I think you can kind of see the same thing starting to build at least a little bit with football. Uh, but what, first of all, what can be done? <laughs> like what, you know, if, if the message gets through and we're all like, okay, well, we need to really we need to do something about this now because it's affecting our sports and that's just a bridge too far and blah, blah, blah. Like what, what can we actually do at this point to undo some of the damage that's been done? Or is this just something we're going to live with now? Yeah. I mean, at this point it's trending in one direction and um, it's, it's hard to say Uh, sports has taken such a big, I guess, precedence in our society nowadays that maybe there's a way that we can, can use sports as a, as a way to convince people. Uh, But it's tough to say. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 really and, and with this storm in particular, it's we, we can't yet pin this on climate change right. or anything like that. We have to look at each 
it's, it's bigger patterns instead of individual storms. But when, you know, we're, we're covering the storm already and we're seeing coastal flooding in Virginia and the sun's still out. And that's pretty, that's pretty shocking at this point. Like we know that, yeah, there's other things in play. The new moon is going to bring ashore, you know, a lot more water than other types of, of moon phases, which also makes Florence kind of a worst case scenario in some areas. But um, to see the to see the sunny day flooding that we see is 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 pretty surprising at this point. And and along those same lines, so just describe to me like the difference um, to the extent that that the, the change in climate has had an effect on uh, the 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 power of storms or the uh, or, or whatever the frequency or whatever. What effect does it have? Is it just that they move slower now that they pick up more water? What are some of the things that that have been changing in recent years? Well, there's a couple things at play, and um, there, there's still there's still a lot of studying going on with this this particular right. topic. Exactly how much this is impacting uh, storms of uh, such as hurricanes. We 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 are growing increasingly more concerned about these storms that are slowing down, i.e., Harvey, and uh, what Florence is expected to do as well. That that's that's particularly worrisome. The the fact that there aren't as many driving forces to pull these hurricanes. You know, usually what you what you expect is a hurricane hits the coastline, and then the the forces that, of nature pull it in a certain direction instead of leaving it there to be stalled for three or four days and dump fifty to sixty inches of rain on people. That's one concern. Another thing that we're kind of worried about, we're not kind of worried about, we're super worried about, um, is is the sea level rise. When there's more water available and a storm surge of of a certain magnitude comes along, well, obviously that's going to bring more water ashore. So. That's that's another thing that's a big concern with climate scientists. So it's it's a couple factors, and and you know we just we we have to figure out what the magnitude of those factors are, but they're definitely at play. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm, Sean, I'm giving you a new job. Um, you are the assistant AD of a Power Five program. Mm-hmm. Um, you are specifically in charge of scheduling, and then also are sort of on the hook, therefore, for the revenue and the loss of revenue accordingly in these deals. So. One of the things that's become precarious for college football programs is that they just flat out write bad contracts when it comes to these one-on-one games because that's what's happening this weekend. You know, UNC, UCF, for instance. That's not a conference game. Conference games are different. The revenue structure is different. A lot of these programs are taking major financial swings, positive, negative, based on their non-conference play. When they lose a game like this, it's huge. Um, I, I don't know if you saw the tweet from the University of Maine. They're still trying to make up a game with UCF because they need that money. Right. So. Your job now is to be the AD at a program that has the least likelihood of a weather-related event. Where would you go in the Power Five? <laughs> in the Power Five? Um, well, you know, it's funny because this time of year, and I think people are, are seeing a lot more of these, these weather delays, but this time of year, especially because there's so much college football in the South, this is yeah. September 10th is the peak of hurricane season, and that means that the first three or four weeks are the times that you're going to be seeing the, the highest likelihood of, of an impactful hurricane. And at the same right. time, you've got all of these schools playing their non-conference schedule. Yeah. And who are they trying to bring in? Most of them are trying to bring in teams from not the South because that's where most of the good college football is being played right now. <laughs> Honestly, anywhere but the South is what I would, that would be my answer for you. Um, you know, you, you well, don't Mike, have, because, so the other issue well, I want just to throw out because we have you here with your expertise. If you go to somewhere like Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, they have to play the games at ten o'clock at night. They have trouble scheduling teams from out of state specifically because of that problem. Michigan State players were visibly uncomfortable last week playing at night at seven degrees. Mm-hmm. So I feel like weather has become impactful across the country. It's not just hurricane season. You know, as Bill mentioned, you know, 
Oklahoma in November, December, not the most ideal situation to throw the ball. Is it like an oasis, or is this just something everyone has to adjust to or start building domes? <laughs> domes would be ideal, yeah. That'd be um, great. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting discussion to have. Um, and, and like you said, Oklahoma in, in November, December is not a great, not a great <laughs> look. But I, I think the majority of non-conference games, which is kind of what you're talking about here, where you have to get – you have to convince a school to come to you, and you have to – you know, you're paying them a large sum of money, and it's a big bet. Um, that's – seems to be primarily happening. Obviously you have the, the week before the rivalry games, a lot of teams usually play a tune-up game. Um, but for the most part, the majority of these non-conference games are being played during this season. And if you look at the other regions around the country, yeah, Arizona is pretty hot right now. That's definitely true. But I would go to Oklahoma before I went to Miami because you're, you're running a much larger likelihood of getting a, a, a game canceled by a storm or having to sit through a lengthy lightning delay or something like that if you were to play it in Miami. Tornado season isn't this time of year in, in, in Oklahoma, and you don't have to worry about winter storms yet. So uh, <laughs> the Plains are definitely a much better option. Uh, the West Coast is a better option for the most part. Obviously, the time differences would be would be pretty uh, pretty much a pain in the butt. But yeah. staying away from the coast at this point in the season is usually a much better bet. And I do like the idea, too. Somebody brought up um, uh, some reporter. I don't remember who. Um, I saw the idea floating around. Like, basically, we have that week zero built in for the te- for Hawaii and the teams that play Hawaii so you can stretch your schedule out. Like, mm-hmm. at some point, we probably just need to bake an extra week into the season if we really – it does appear we're at a point where there will be more cancellations, more postponements, everything else. And if you build another bye weekend, you can at least kind of – you have a better shot of perhaps making that game up instead of just losing the game outright, I guess. Sure. And I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to suggest lengthening the season on the back end, but weather's usually a lot more friendly in the South in, uh, yeah. you know, early December. So. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm sure big, big 10 country might have a problem with that, but uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't go up there. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, with the last couple of minutes we've got here, um, I, we've, we've Godfrey's obviously written a lot about um, Florida state uh, and Willie Taggart. And I wrote a piece this week, basically saying what the hell's wrong with Florida state. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your take on Florida state so far? What, what have you seen uh, that you think maybe isn't as bad as it seems? What are you, what are you really, really worried about? Well, for one, I've, I have not uh, disliked Jimbo Fisher more than I, I did the last <laughs> two weeks. Um, I, I totally understand the, the factors that caused him to go to, to College Station, mm-hmm. um, money being one of them, um, and, and possibly proximity to good hospitals for his son as well. I, I totally understood the, the thought process that went on in Jimbo's mind, but I've been very angry the last couple of weeks when I see the the lack of talent that he left behind in Tallahassee. Yeah. Um, the things that are happening with this team should not be happening. And um, it, the, the offensive line is concerning. I watched the Sanford game last week and I just don't feel like Florida state should be letting Sanford's defensive <laughs> backs just run free into the backfield on every single play. So that was disconcerting. And just, just the way that the offense doesn't seem to be moving the ball yet. Now I know, I understand that they're working a new offense in and it's a new coach and he's got to figure out what, you know, what these guys are good at too. But uh, just, just the extreme lack of any comprehension of how to run this offense is <laughs> a little bit scary to me because they have had, you know, eight or nine months to get, get it under the rails. Right. I mean, that, that is, I do think, you know, there was a lot made about, um, you know, Francois making if he reads, especially against Virginia tech and that's fine. I mean, it, that, that makes sense. But at the same time, you are kind of like, you know, what he did have eight months, even, even uh, in, you know, while, while recuperating, while rehabbing, he still had, you know, it, 
time to learn the offense or at least kind of get a little more familiar with it. So you would hope that that doesn't last too long, but, um, but anyway, yeah, like I, I, the offensive line is, is mind blowing to me that you can, I mean, even, even, even if it's inexperienced or whatever, you got so many four-star dudes there uh, and it seems like just a total lost cause at the moment. So uh, that, that is not typically something that gets uh, rectified very quickly. No. And you look at the schedule that's, that's coming up for this team and the fact that they have two quarterbacks on scholarship, uh, you've got (laughs) NIU who has a pretty good defense. You've got Notre Dame who has a bunch of pros on their defensive line. You got Clemson. If they can make it through this season, if they can make it to the Florida game with, with a healthy quarterback on scholarship, I'm going to be surprised because that's how bad this offensive line has been. Yeah. It's been impressive, impressive in all the, the, the bad ways, I guess. <laughs> Impressively bad. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Sean. Okay. So you've got a website called Breslanta. You've got a podcast called the Breslanta report. Anything else you want to promote uh, given the opportunity here? Uh, no, I mean just just in the uh, in the the current uh, climate where we're covering uh, a, a major hurricane making landfall, and I'll be I'll be on pretty much all week covering the storm. Just follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore Breslin. Uh, I'll continue to provide updates as the storm makes landfall and continues to dump rain on the south. I saw that you um, you, you tweeted about reminding people not to light their grills in their house. Um... I, the, my first was reaction was to laugh. My second reaction was there's a reason he's saying that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason I'm saying that. Um, it's, it's, I don't, I don't like covering deaths. I, I yeah. really don't like covering deaths. So if there's any way to prevent that, if there's one person that sees that just bought a generator for the first time and, and realizes those aren't meant to be run inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, um, good luck to you. you. You have a busy weekend ahead and good luck to your Seminoles. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having All me right. on. Take care. Okay, so before the world burns and floods simultaneously, we still have a week three to talk about. Uh, A little hampered by the weather, but we still have um, a workmanlike week week three. (laughs) And one thing we should mention, um, we are recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, And so there's a decent chance that by the time you hear this, there will have been a couple of other weather-related postponements or whatever. Um, Forgive us (laughs) and ignore it and, and, and we'll move on. Guess what, though? Thursday still sucks. I see a meme emerging. Make Thursdays terrible again. I guess that's what college football has decided to hey, do. Boston College Wake but Forest. Boston College is a stump. top I knew as 15. soon as I said that Boston you were going to stump for that game. Boston College is a top 15 team per S&P Plus. I doubt that lasts for very long, but this is an enormous game for both of these teams. So thank Great. you, okay. Thursday. All right. So Thursday, uh, actually Wednesday, we have a game now because of the storm, and that's Campbell going to Coastal Carolina over in the Sun Belt. Um, that game is at 1 o'clock. So I just realized that's literally in an hour as we record this. No one's gonna. You guys already know. Yeah, you already Time know. Travel. You already watched it on ESPN three. I'm sure. I'm sure at work. Um, okay, let's move to Thursday. Old Dominion is at Charlotte. If I put a gun to a bunch of people's heads, how many people do you like? What's the percentage of people that would know that that's a that's a conference game? <laughs> uh, probably not a lot, right? Yeah, probably not a lot. Uh, Thursday again. That's impacted by the storm. Three o'clock on the ESPN three. Uh, let's see here. BC's at Wake, um, and that's it. Uh, again, another storm-affected game at 4.30 on ESPN tomorrow. So uh, That seriously is worth watching. BC's so good. strange. We'll I didn't – yeah, because – I mean, I, what are you going to be doing? Watch it at work. Yeah. Watch anything at work, of course. Um, and then uh, – so it. the only Thursday night game in FBS is Utah State hosting Tennessee Tech. On Facebook. On Facebook. So good luck with that. We have we have punted on Thursdays again, apparently. Oh no, wait, was Boston College when was that 
BC Wake game supposed to happen? Was it a Thursday game? I think it was the, up? yeah, I think, okay. yeah, I think okay. it just got moved up. Okay. Um, Friday, uh, Georgia State is at Memphis on ESPN at six. And then on Saturday, here we go again. Uh, luckily, thankfully, of course they did because they're the best scheduling site in the world for television is lsufootball.net. I said for television. If you want a team schedule, you go to fbsschedules.com. Yes. And then SPNation.com for everything else. Of course. Um, of course. So I'll pay my mortgage. All right. 11 a.m. You ready? I'm ready. Let's get a morning. Let's, let's get a tasting menu. Let's, let's get a tasting menu together. Uh, Big Ten Network at 11 a.m. Ball State at Indiana. Florida State goes to the Cuse at 11 a.m. on ESPN. Hawaii is at Army on CBS Sports Network. Kent State is at Penn State on FS1. Miami is at Toledo on ESPN2. Kentucky, fresh off of that streak breaking, is hosting Murray State. That's on the SEC Network alternate. Check your listings. Oklahoma goes to Iowa State on ABC. UConn hosts Rhode Island on the SNY Network. Um, I think it's some Yankee thing for baseball fans. I don't know. <laughs> Rutgers at Kansas on FSN. And then Temple at Maryland on BTN. But there's a rotation here, so check your yeah, listings on the huge rotation thing. on BTN. Yeah. Here. Uh, so BTN has... The Ball State Indiana game that led off this eleven. Then they have Temple Maryland and Troy at Nebraska. They're all at eleven. They're all on BTN, so it'll be a rotation. They split that up on a on like a normal like map the way NFL coverage goes. But you can always get the alternate games if you have the any kind of streaming device. So it's not as. I mean, if you want to watch one of those games, you'll find a way. Couple canceled games through there, but then we have UTEP at Tennessee, also on the SEC network. Check the alternate. Um, Georgia Tech goes to Pittsburgh at eleven thirty. And that's on the ESPN Extra because it's part of the weird, like, zombie Jefferson pilot Raycom thing, the ACC Regional Sports Network, which everyone was watching last week because of Florida State. Yeah. And then we will stop there. We'll yeah. pick it back up at 1 o'clock. Um, oh, oh, um, a couple really good anxiety games here. Florida State at Syracuse like, and Miami at Toledo. Yep. Um, I'm going to go full PAPN on this. I don't, I don't care. Uh, my pick is uh, I'm going to go a, a dual headliner. Troy at Nebraska and Hawaii at Army. I don't care. Come at me. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, like, I don't. I, Florida State is going to struggle against Syracuse. They, I think they have a great chance of losing that game. Um, but I will say this. I've watched both Florida State games so far this year. They don't even struggle in a fun way unless you're super into it. Like unless you're an anti-Noel, like schadenfreude type experience, like schadenfreude. Uh, it's pretty bad football. Well, it is. I so. mean, as we were, as I was mentioning there at the end with Sean, um, when your when your O line is bad, it pretty much makes things unwatchable. There's nothing you can do. There's no play you can call uh, to 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 get around that at least more than once. And so um, it really it, it has hindered basically everything. And then you add on Francois, um, you know his his slow grasp of the system and all those other things. I do think um, in that what the hell is wrong with FSU piece that I wrote earlier this week, I think the defensive stuff is fixable. Uh, we'll find out how fixable or if they can actually start games well. Like The, the second through fourth quarters haven't been much of a problem. The first quarter has been a disaster. Um, I assume that is something that writes itself over time, but we'll see if it does. But, I mean, no, if, if Syracuse jumps out 14-0 uh, midway through the first quarter, Florida State really hasn't given us – the reason to think that they'll charge back and eventually win, it might be over at that point. They, they managed to eke out a win against Stanford at home after ju- falling behind early, but Syracuse, I don't know how good Syracuse is, but they're better than Stanford. So real quick. Um, we're not, what are we expecting out of Toledo there? 
with Miami. Uh, Toledo's good. Toledo's quite good. Um, I'm that's expecting... gonna be your. That's gonna be your score. That's that's your lower third. Uh, what do they call it? The the bottom line on ESPN. Ticker, that, yeah. That's your that's your score watching game to flip over to. Yeah, for to- sure. Toledo is quite good. If Miami plays well, Miami should win. But they have to play well. They um, they obviously didn't in their first game against LSU. They they kind of dilly dallied for a while against Savannah State before turning it on. Um, they're another team. Like if they start well and they're they, they if they play totally to like they played that game at uh, Appalachian State a couple of years ago where we're all like hey upset watch and it was twenty one nothing in the blink of an eye that's fine they are capable of that but they have not it's going to require a better performance than they've given this season so far yeah I'm going to stick with my pick though because of how interesting was how interesting yeah. was how interesting Nebraska was last week in a loss um, and again being very close to to winning that game combined with the fact that. We don't know what Troy is yet because they blew out a, a FAMU and then they lost at home they got to, blown out by Boise, by the, Mur- to Murder Smurf. So, Sorry. I mean, Murder Smurf being what they are now, we know is you know the best team in college football. Um, I don't know what to make of Troy in that they scored 20 points. Um, you know, Caleb Barker was workmanlike in that game. Um, only through one pick, but it's uh, I got questions about Troy. Um I'm not really sure what we're going to get, and I'm very interested in that. And I'm also interested when you combine that with what's going on at Nebraska. I think Nebraska is obviously the more talented team, uh, but that's the one that intrigues me the most. So a BTN regional game. Strange week three, Bill. Let's go to the afternoon slot. We're going to start at one. We're going to go all the way up to five. Um, It's always tricky when you draw that line because if you start watching a game (laughs) at four, it's going to bleed into your – Yeah, but you got to draw the line somewhere. One o'clock central. All these games are central time. God's time zone. Although it is nice to be on the West Coast sometimes. Uh, Stanford fresh off of mauling USC is going to get UC Davis. Vanderbilt goes to Notre Dame. Uh, one thir- oh, by the way, that's a Pac-12 network game. And then uh, Vandy's at uh, Notre Dame, so that's obviously NBC at one thirty. Uh, goal line starts at 2 o'clock. I love how they put that in there every week as if anyone watches the goal line. No one watches goal line. Even if you love red zone for NFL, you don't watch goal line. It sucks. <laughs> Oklahoma State is hoist, hosting Boise. I got so hoisting. excited. I said maybe Boise might hoist them. Uh, Murder Smurfs by 28. Yeah, I called it right here. Um, that's on ESPN. Uh, we're now in the 230 block, by the way. BYU goes to Wisconsin on ABC. Duke is at Baylor on FS1. Georgia Southern goes to Clemson at uh, – that's on the ESPN Deuce. Navy hosts Lehigh on CBS Sports Network. LSU is at Auburn on CBS. Oh, we're getting stacked now. I love a good just stack slots. Just packed afternoon. Um, Miami of Ohio is at Minnesota, not as stacked. SMU goes to Michigan. Ugh. South Florida goes to Illinois. Ugh. I probably spoke too soon. Um, and then we jump to three o'clock. Colorado State is at Florida. Upset alert. Uh, Houston goes to Texas Tech for all the points in the world on Fox. Uh, North Texas is at Arkansas on the SEC Network alternate. We are in three o'clock, by the way. Uh, UTSA goes to K State on FSN. Um, New Hampshire goes to a trio of crap on the Pac-12. I mean, wow, yeah. Okay, check these last check these last games out. Well, we'll throw the five o'clock in here just to make fun of it. You ready? So two games at four, last one at five. New, they're all Pac-12 network rotation games. New Hampshire goes to Colorado. San Jose goes to San Jose State goes to Oregon, and Idaho State goes to Cal. Just skip all that. Yeah. Um, okay. As soon as I said stacked, it fell apart. Well, but that's it, fine. That we, means we've we got know three or four at. really, really, really good options there. Uh, straight up, the, the the watch here for me is LSU Auburn, um, and then I would simulcast that 
if I'm able to, depending on my work schedule, with Boise, Oklahoma State. <laughs> I think those just go without saying that those that's the pick for this slot, without a doubt. Now, um, as far as the side dish goes, is Vanderbilt going to be competitive? I don't this, look. A lot of people are laughing at this game. I don't think they should be. No, Vanderbilt's better than Ball State, first of all, and and Notre Dame struggled to put Ball State away last week. So I mean that that alone says you should maybe pay attention. Um, no, did you watch the game? Ball State. Yeah. Uh, very like I saw a few possessions in a bar uh, before I went to my game. So okay. So the reason why I ask is this: Was the Wimbush stuff? Was it was it bad decision making or was it confusion? Because Vanderbilt possesses the ability to, like a Derek Mason defense can do that to you. Yeah, they can be it has they a- can be physical enough in the secondary and confusing enough to where they compensate for the fact they don't have like a like an actual pass rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I might be projecting. Here. Well, they, I, I'm thinking back to like a, a one dimensional, like Kansas State. They they shut down Kansas State last year. They made they rendered K State one dimensional, and it was the dimension they couldn't really do. Uh, and Notre Dame's offense is more explosive than K-State's offense was, but it's just as one-dimensional. They, they really are struggling to pass the ball right now. Wimbush, 55% completion rate, uh, one touchdown to four picks, uh, passer rating under 120. Now, you aren't passing on Notre Dame any better than they're passing on you. Uh, in fact, you're, you're doing even worse. But um, just at, overall, Notre Dame is still a pretty one-dimensional offense right now. That dimension is, is not as exciting as it was last year because they don't have Josh Adams anymore. But they're still so. I mean, I, I would say that Vanderbilt should have a pretty decent chance at at, at keeping Notre Dame's point total low. Um, you know, then they have to actually score. And yeah, I was, uh, that, I was about to say I don't know what happens on the other side of the ball. I know that the defense is capable enough of like clipping one leg out from under you and then jumping on your back. But I mean, the bottom line is you still have to score points. Yeah, and and now if it should be if better. Notre Dame is as turnover prone as they were, right. then that's possible with, with a lot of short fields. Yeah, you could get some easy points, but it is, it, I should at least mention here that, I mean, Vandy has scored 76 points against Middle Tennessee and Nevada. It, that, you know, Notre Dame's way better defensively than either one of those teams, but they still looked the part. They scored 76 points. They averaged 6.4 yards per play. They still... They they treated those uh, defenses like they should be treated, and so maybe that's a sign that they can put some uh, at least a few drives together, especially if they're um, uh, if if they do get some short fields as well. I, I mean, Kyle Shermer, you can't ask for more at this point. Sixty-seven percent completion rate, four hundred twenty-eight yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Hasn't had to play the fourth quarter very much, uh, so he's definitely looked the part. Maybe they're just fine, uh, and maybe they can give it a game. I do think. I mean, S and P. Uh, like we were saying on on Sunday, S&P likes the teams that handle their business and look the part early, and Vanderbilt's done that. So either they keep doing it or they fall off pretty quickly. Uh, we'll get a lot. This is the point last year where Alabama completely devoured their soul. Notre Dame's not that go- as good as Alabama was. So maybe maybe they survive this one and they keep playing well. Uh, Clemson's about to play two games against option teams. Um, that's going to affect how they're, the available time that the quarterbacks get and how they rotate. I'm curious if they settle on somebody in the next two weeks because they're going to have an opportunity against both Georgia Southern yeah. and, and Georgia Tech, I think, to sustain some long drives once they have a lead. Yeah, I do. Um, 
like I said, I said this on the Tuesday show, I kind of felt Brad like I think Kelly Bryant had a darn good day against Texas A&M uh, overall. But yeah. I think it, it, it became kind of a Jalen Hurts, JT Barrett situation where at the end of the game uh, to run out the clock or to kill time, they knew exactly what they were just going to play it safe and run three times, run him three times uh, between the tackles and then punt. And uh, if Trevor Lawrence is your quarterback, you don't necessarily have that security blanket. And maybe that ends up being a good thing for your offense. But um I mean, Georgia Southern's pretty uh, – look, they're looking like they might be pretty solid this year, but obviously this isn't going to be a game for all that long. No, no, I don't think so. Um, curious – just really curious about snap counts between those two guys, yep. and and I think it'll inform what happens next week against Georgia Tech. Um, you know, Duke and Baylor I would have had more interest in before the injuries for Duke. Um, and just if they played in a different time slot. Yeah, no kidding. This would have been – you know, this is a Thursday night kind of curious <laughs> yeah. type deal. Um SMU at Michigan, Michigan should be nah. totally fine. Yep. Um, and then South Florida at Illinois, it's not going to be a game because I think South Florida's going to go up there and roll them. Um, okay, so uh, again, we didn't really break down LSU at Auburn, um, but I think that this is uh, – we did actually break down LSU at Auburn when we were recapping week one, mm. and I pretty much stand by everything I said minus <laughs> the fact that Sidham threw three interceptions in that game. I know Auburn um, fans are all mad at he me. He might cause... throw three interceptions in this game. I'm going to be honest. I know, Joe Burrow I know Auburn five. fans are mad because I my numbers don't like them quite as much as they did. Auburn's fine. I expect them to win this game, but it's they're gonna have to they're gonna have to work because <laughs> I mean LSU is at least got the physicality thing down, and uh, we'll see if they can actually pass. Auburn will make them pass. We have a there's been a trend the last couple of years where we identify uh, what we think to be obvious you know defensive struggles, and they don't live up. I I, I really don't think they're gonna break forty points in this game. <laughs> I really quite, don't, quite and possibly. I'm fine with that. It could be very suspenseful in a, in in a real gutty way. Um, I like Auburn just because it's at home. I like by a, like Auburn by like somewhere in the neighborhood of three to seven points. In no way, you know, like I think these teams are evenly matched in a weird, weird way. <laughs> even though they're not evenly matched, like when you look at yeah, I just think they're going to end up evenly matched. They're going to fit like puzzle pieces and create a really <laughs> sloggy game. All right, Bill. Yeah. Um, okay, so we feel good on our picks there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I think I'm most curious about Boise, Oklahoma State. That's the game I'm going to watch, and I will DVR LSU Auburn and watch it later. We're about to find out about that Jim Knowles defense, aren't we? Yeah. We really, really and are. And the murder smurfs. Um, we're going to find out a lot about the murder smurfs. Well, they're going to win by Right, we're going to find out if they're going 11 or 1 or 12 and 0 this uh, year, right? No, they're definitely going undefeated, and they're probably going to score 70 points in this game. Okay. That's my uh, – sorry, Jim Knowles. Um, all right. Let's go to 6 o'clock. You ready? Uh, Alabama at Ole Miss. ESPN, 6 o'clock. That's a football game. Sexy. Arkansas State at Tulsa on CBS Sports Network. Middle Tennessee goes to Georgia at 6.15 on ESPN2. Moving to 6.30, Northwestern hosts Akron on BTN. Uh, on the SEC alternate, Czechio listings Mississippi State and ULL. It's the Mark Hudspeth Bowl. Texas A&M hosts a red-hot <laughs> ULM team at 6.30 on SEC Network. Sleeper game. At 6.30 uh marshall is still playing in south carolina so oh um yeah that, that's, that's something that might change by press time yeah i'm 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 guessing that game doesn't happen uh your beloved missouri tigers go to purdue uh that's on btn northern iowa goes to iowa on btn and umass is at fiu on bn i thought they lost that 
carriage rights, but whatever. Louisville and Western Kentucky are on that weird ACC uh, regional sports network thing. I don't think Western Kentucky has much of a chance, but they need to look good because there's uh, there's heat coming around <laughs> that job um, after last week. Eastern Washington goes to Wazoo at 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. New Mexico and New Mexico State. Get ready to Google. Mm. What is ELVN? That That's is, the network. That is the... It's your beloved Ags. Wow. You should um, know. I have no idea. The, this one, Google's even a little stumped on this one. Let's see. ELV... Um, oh, it's a, it's a Las Vegas-based something? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Sure. And there's going to be football covered on it. However you do it, uh, Las, w- however w- you do it Mountain West. W- www.elvndigital.com pulls up a 404 error. So um, I'm just going to say that you're not <laughs> I'm watching I'm excited this for this game. I'm, this is I'm, great. You're not watching this game. Uh, over on ABC, uh, it's the big uh, TCU uh, in their home finger quotes field in, uh, in Dallas or in whatever, that dumb middle town in between them uh, against Ohio State and Jerry World. Texas and USC on Fox. It's not really a good game. Uh, Washington goes to Utah. We're now jumping yeah. to nine oh, o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Washington's at Utah. Let's uh, we'll stop there. We will do. We'll roll nine o'clock into the evening, yeah. um, and then let's pick a prime time game because it's going to be Ohio State and TCU. Yes. Um, we're all running for second place here. So. Yeah, but we also have uh, like that, ha- like an hour to watch a different game uh, before Ohio State TCU. I mean, I'm gonna like I'm honestly I'm I'm. Alabama Ole Miss. Ole Miss is built not to beat Alabama, but they're built to score points on Alabama. They're you know they can they can pass on Alabama's uh, uh, new secondary. So really, that's kind of a degrees game where like does does Ole Miss have a little bit of success passing? Do they have a lot of success passing? That might be the biggest thing we learn about Alabama in this game because I mean their 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 offense is not going to be stopped very much. But um, but that's at least a, a game. I think you can find a couple pieces of evidence uh, for you know in watching that game. I, I mean, obviously, I'm going to be at six thirty. I'm going to be watching Missouri Purdue for a little while. Um, Gross. But yeah, I think Alabama. I, to to me, I, I'm I'm just curious about Alabama. We haven't learned much yet, other than their offense is amazing. So I'm curious what uh, Ole Miss can do. Uh, guess what? Their offense is still going to be amazing in Alabama. Um, I'm curious about how bad Purdue is, which we're going to find out after this week. Um, I'm curious about. Um, how bad Utah is, which we're going to find out about after this week. Oh, I think Utah's I'm, fine. Uh, which I, I just dipped into the... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, again. yeah. Sorry. Um, but uh, I'm curious how bad Western Kentucky is. These are all not reasons to tune in. This is just how I'm breaking this down for the moment. Uh, look, the obvious pick is Ohio State against TCU. It's good on good. I, I'm really curious what they do on TCU does on defense. That's the first matchup I think about. Um, this is the game that we talked about. <laughs> this is the game that if... If something was going to happen in Meyer's absence, it would be in this game. And I think TCU is capable of doing it. Um, I really, really wish this game was in Fort Worth because this would have been one of those moments where, you know, the student section and the, the hardcore season ticket holders in Fort Worth, like they, they come together and create an environment. Not that that's going to intimidate a team from the horseshoe, but it, I don't know, man. It's like why we watch college football. Right. Jerry World sucks. It would have been, it would have been great for TCU fans, even if Ohio State wasn't intimidated. It would have been fun. Um, w- before I talk, before I sell you on USC and Texas as a hate watch, uh, what what do you think about when it, when it comes to Ohio State TCU? I'm just curious about the Ohio State on offense and TCU on defense more than anything else. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Um, I don't trust that TCU. 
I don't think Sean Robinson is in a place to beat Ohio State yet, uh, the no. TCU quarterback. And I think that probably makes the biggest difference in this game. But um, TCU – turn the ball over. Right, right. I mean, if you can avoid that piece at least. Uh, no, I am – like that is obviously the, the most interesting matchup here. Ohio State's offense has been untouchable so far against, you know, air, um, uh, you know, Oregon State and Rutgers. But uh, TCU also, I mean, they're just that, you know, we don't know if they have a good defense or a great defense. We don't know if Ohio State has a great defense or, an, or a great offense or another worldly, worldly offense. Uh, so, yeah, this is another game. I was talking about learning things about Alabama's defense. We get to learn, thing, learn things about both teams, even if I'm still going to assume uh, Ohio State ends up winning by, you know, like a 10-point margin or something like that. Um. After USC plays Texas, one of these teams is going to be one and two. Yep. That's all I need to sell you on. Yeah. You can watch Ohio State TCU play amazing football. You can flip over and and just keep an eye on USC Texas because at the end of this, somebody is going to have full-on anxiety. I mean, this this is sort of an anxiety bowl. Mm. Oh, massive. Um, Someone's going to be in disrepair and someone's going to be – some coach is going to be dealing with uh, what does it all mean type questions from the <laughs> right. from the fan base. Yep. I'm down for that. All right, Bill. Nightcap. Yep. Washington at Utah, uh, 9 p.m. on ESPN. Arizona State, San Diego State, 9.30 on CBS Sports Network. Uh, Florida, uh, Fresno State goes to UCLA at 9.30 on FS1. And then Southern Utah goes to Arizona Ooh. at 10 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. We don't have a late Hawaii game because they're playing Army in the Eastern Time Zone in the afternoon. Um, couple, couple awesome games, couple terrible. Get games. drunk. <laughs> now, Washington. So uh, when I put out the latest win projections this morning, based on the new S&P Plus rankings, I put up a post on that. I said today, uh, Wednesday. This is going up on Thursday. Um, but Utah is now your Pac-12 South favorite because of how USC has looked so far. Uh, and this, obviously, if they, can, if they can beat Washington, if they can beat the best team in the conference, uh, then they're, they're kind of – that's not a stranglehold on the South necessarily because Colorado could still be really interested, and USC could get better as the year goes on. But So the team that struggled and was really, really ugly at home against Northern Illinois is the favorite to win the South? Again, Northern Illinois' defense is fantastic. Utah's defense has been untouchable. Um, so, so you just so that was more along the lines of the game that you thought would happen. Yeah, I mean, it was it was okay. lower scoring than I expected, but Utah's done what they were supposed to do, and they, I mean, they won that game by eleven on the road. I think that that wasn't that far away from projection. It was just instead of if it was like thirty four to twenty three, we wouldn't have said a word. It was seventeen six. Therefore, we're like, ew, you know, maybe they're not good. They're, they're pretty good. Wait, was that was that game in DeKalb or yeah, was that game was, in Salt Lake? No, it was it was at Northern Illinois. Ah, so I mean, that's all right. All right, you're 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 warming me and, up. And again, NIU has no offense whatsoever. They've got a really good defense, uh, and so I'm not going to hold that against them. And I think they could. I mean, the last two years they've almost beaten Washington. They they know how to play against this team, and so this will be a really nice test for for a Washington team who we're still saying is a title contender. They can also be one and two at the end of this week uh, if they don't show up in Salt Lake and and play really well. And I think because of that, that's the pick. Um, however, it's getting harder to ignore Arizona State. The next two weeks, I mean, they play at San Diego State and at Washington. That's obviously going to tell us a lot about uh, Arizona State. Because I, I definitely don't think they're going to beat Washington, but um, winning this game, 
Yeah, SDSU has not been. He's going to go a long way. Uh, San Diego State has not been all that great this year. Um, that you know they got thumped by they 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 gave out in the second half against Stanford, and they took their sweet time getting past Sacramento State. So really, we don't know that they have anything to offer here. Uh, but I would assume it'll be a hostile environment, um, and it'll just be a different environment for Arizona State. They played the first two games at home, uh, and as you were saying uh, with 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 Sean Breslin, Michigan State looked. Uh, out of place in Arizona weather uh, late at night in that we, it, it, with all that going on. So um, we, I, I'm still not completely sure what to think of Arizona State, but I don't have to conclu- make a conclusion because the next two weeks are going to tell us a ton. <sighs> they win this game, they might go bowling. Arizona State? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think they're bowling now. I think they're definitely going to – they're in position to bowl. I'm talking about them in in in, in terms of like what's their place. Well, in the I'm not. I mean, I'm not entirely sold yet because UTSA isn't as good as they were, and and you just described the circumstances around Michigan yeah. State. So my thought was they could still implode in conference play. Oh, but okay. I'm starting to think not. Yeah, no. Um, I, I think, and then if you have three wins, uh, I think you definitely can find three others. Right. No, I mean they play like uh, they get Oregon State at home. That's likely. Um, That's a win. They get UCLA at home. They get Arizona on the road. That's three pretty good, solid win opportunities right there. I mean the schedule is otherwise quite tricky. I mean Stanford at home, Utah at home. You'd rather play them at home, but you still have to play them at Colorado, at USC, at Washington, at Oregon. Uh, There is definitely a ceiling on this team's record. But um, if they look really good and they beat San Diego State and they and they acquit themselves well against Washington, I do think we might be talking about a Pac-12 South contender. Uh, you know, especially if USC isn't getting its act together. So we'll Sweet see. Sweet Jesus, give me t- give uh, yeah, me two so, weeks. I'm, like I said, I'm not I'm not predicting anything. Give me two weeks and get back to me. Washington, Utah is your pick there. Yes, uh, Bill. Let me clean it up real fast. Go through the uh, the bargain bin. Uh, Cincinnati is at home against Alabama A&M on ESPN three. FAU, if you want to watch some points, go over to Stadium. They're playing Bethune-Cookman. Um, it is pretty thin in the bargain bin. We've got uh, Eastern Kentucky going to Bowling Green, ESPN 3 at 3. Uh, <laughs> see if there's anything else. Ohio-Virginia. Um... Oh, yes, that's right. Ohio-Virginia. So they're putting it on ACC video. <clears throat> no idea how that's going to work. In, in terms Nashville. Of you actually seeing it. But yes, it will be down the street from me at Vanderbilt Stadium. That'll be 3.30. Um yeah, I'm not going to try and sell you on that game. No, I, I mean, Virginia could be solid, and Ohio looked like crap against right. Howard, but needs to start looking good because uh, I had them yeah, as a yeah, Mac yeah. favorite. So uh, Tulane UAB on Facebook at noon. That might be something to, you know, if you've got your laptop open anyway. Uh, Southern Miss at App 230 on ESPN uh, yep. Plus. That's another one. This is why we go through the bargain bin is we do find some good G5s in there. Um, I think that's pretty much it, though. Yeah. That's pretty much it. All right, Bill. Um, a workman like week three. This is, uh, to me, the the table is set for yes. uh, high-level weird. This is that moment. We've kind of, the first two weeks have just kind of gone by. Um, yeah. We've had moments, but yeah, this is, this, this is uh, I think these are the most impactful games so far. And yeah, you're right. We have, there's potential for, for super weird. You're going to have a moment like, I'm just going to pull this one out, like a North Texas at Arkansas. Weird. Crazy ending. Uh, you're going to have <laughs> something North Texas like just thumps them because they're better. We'll see. Yikes. You're going to have something like a ULM scoring 14 points in the first half against A&M and, and it's weird <laughs> for a hot minute. Yeah. You might have Iowa state putting together a little defense for five minutes. Um, or honestly, you may have Iowa state putting together some defense. It look, it it's in Iowa state. So 
adjust accordingly well into the fourth quarter. This is that kind of week. Um, you know, winless Temple's going to go to Maryland and like upset them or something like that. You know, like some strange thing is going to happen, a series of strange things. Um, and if all else fails, uh, here's where I can pimp a piece I wrote a few weeks ago. If all else fails, hop online, get on ESPN Plus, and check out some Ivy League teams. Because the, wow. that, there's going to be some fun to be had, I'm pretty sure. Oh, Company oh, oh, man. here's another one on ESPN Plus, by the way. Eastern Michigan Buffalo might have MAC implications. Uh, that's crazy. That one, uh, that's 5 p.m. Central on ESPN Plus. Uh, that could be a legitimately interesting game because Buffalo is a really uh, a fun team to watch in Eastern Michigan. It's pretty salty. So uh, you got that I one. Called the, I called for Wazoo to fire Leach. He hasn't lost a game nope. yet. Um, they got Eastern Washington this week. <laughs> Yeah, they, they were smart in not scheduling the FCS game first. So they really, so now they've got Eastern Washington right where they want them. Oh, you think so? All right. Be, be forewarned out there. Weird things are going to happen. We'll see you on Sunday.